It's really about bringing innovative Australian research out of the university labs and into real applications. We thought we knew everything we wanted to know about human evolution, but there was this amazing discovery out of the tip of the pinky. Do you think we have the ability to turn this around? So I thought, what are we going to do with an electrode you can tie in a knot? Uh, Children are it. engaged, they're ready to learn, they're excited. It's not just about having more science, it's about doing the right things with that science. Hello and welcome to Can You Tell Me How? Powerful Answers to Urgent Questions, a podcast series from the University of Wollongong. My name is Lizzie Jack. And my name is William Verity. And William, what have you got for us today? So we've got a real treat. I really enjoyed. Out of all the ones that that I did, I think I probably enjoyed doing this the most simply because it was with children and preschool children in particular. And I love, uh, I love their vitality. I love their energy. All the best things about children. This is, <laughs> this is called the serious business of child's play, and it's also it's a really big issue. And in fact, pr- probably so big it's impossible to overstate this issue of self-regulation. So what self-regulation means is that ability that we need to develop not to be overwhelmed by our impulses, not to be overwhelmed by our emotions. So to be able to take a step back to have some kind of resilience from that. And as we will hear in this episode, the effects of good self-regulation really cannot be overstated in terms of life outcomes, about having a good life. And they're learned, as with many things, they're learned very early on in our lives. And if we, are, if we learn them that early on in preschool, then it becomes a kind of self-perpetuating virtuous circle where we get, when we get to school, we get, we're able to concentrate, we're able to learn, we're able to be engaged, and it just goes on from there. If we don't learn it by the time we get to school, what can happen is the absolute reverse, which means we get disengaged from school, it means we then start getting into trouble, and so on and so so forth. So, so this is really a big issue. I think people maybe underestimate how important those formative years are in literally setting up your future, really, or how what kind of life you're going to live when it is really the most important mm. time to learn those lessons. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing I loved about this, I loved the, the children. I actually also love, love maybe too strong a word, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I liked the adults. You liked them. They were <laughs> I, nice. I've, I've, had a, I've had a bit to do with the early start uh, academics, so these academics we're, we're about to hear, and the kind of academic that that is drawn to this world uh, they're just beautiful people. Yeah. So, so they they they're they're child friendly. They're gentle. They're passionate. This is a vocation, uh, more than perhaps, arguably, other uh, any other area of academia. It's about fostering the next generation. Yeah, very very interesting. Let's have a listen. Ready, set, screaming. What we know about early childhood is children learn through their activity. They learn through activity together and they learn through activity with other people. So we at Early Start specialise in understanding how children grow and flourish, how their development is propelled, how their learning progresses and how we can cultivate their well-being. 
As you can probably hear, this is no ordinary assignment at the University of Wollongong. I'm at Early Start with Professor Mark de Ronne, an academic director of Early Start. At the centre of this research institute into early childhood learning is something that's unique in the world. Welcome to the Discovery Space. The Discovery Space is very visible. It's at the heart of the actual building of Early Start. And we see children there collaborating with their families. You can probably hear the noise behind me. If we look down there, we see a children's discovery space. And that's a totally unique thing in the world. Which is we bring thousands of children onto the campus of the university every year. We get about 150,000 visitations a year. And down there you'll see all sorts of different experiences, things to interact with, different ways for parents to be with their children, to view their children, to do activities with their children. So what we have down there is a pirate ship and some of the props, or uh, it can be changed into a cargo ship, it can be changed into an explorer's ship, and we can change the props and we can give you know, different sort of cues for play. We can give different resources to kids. And then we let them fill in the gaps. We let them populate it. We let them invite each other to go on a journey to discover something. And we have art spaces. We have outdoor spaces which have some risky play. We have a building site where children can install the wall and put the plumbing into a building and see how that all works. And so we create all these different kinds of experiences that bring out of children their capacity to collaborate, to imagine, to realise their ambitions, to take people along with them, to observe, to see what other kids do. And that's part of what play-based learning involves. It involves activity, it involves doing things, doing things that extend us into new areas or give us a different kind of perspective on the world. But Early Start Research unlike a lot of research in the university, is not what you would think of as fundamental research. It's translational research. It's research about bringing to life, realising, if you want, what we need to do to support children and families in their journeys so that children can be free to make good choices when they grow up. They can be capable. They can be self-possessed. They can be confident in their choices. And we know that children are capable of that if they have good experiences, if they're well supported, and if they have a chance to grow in their own way. So let us go then, you and I, on our own journey of discovery. And hold on to your hats, because we're not going to be talking about anything small here. These are no ivory tower academics. These are people on a mission to change lives, fundamentally, and for the better. All right, so that brings us neatly onto the topic of self-regulation. I think probably, first of all, if, can you just define for us what does self-regulation mean? If you want to achieve something that's not immediate, if you want to achieve something that involves learning over time, you need the capacity to control your behaviour. You need the capacity to not react on an impulse. You need the capacity to, to see something through. So self-regulation is that really complex set of skills that we as, as human beings have that allow us to do things collaboratively in groups, that allow us to achieve deep cultural learning over time, that allow us to have sustained friendships that don't get disrailed by minor conflicts. It's all of those things together. 
That capacity that I've just described is perhaps the single most important determinant of all sorts of life outcomes that we take for granted. The ability to work and support yourself, the ability to have good flourishing relationships, the ability, if you like, not to come into contact with the criminal justice system, the ability to resist dependence on drugs and alcohol, even when things are very tough. All of those domains of life are underpinned by good self-regulation, and it starts in early childhood. But here's the rub. Although the benefits of self-regulation are clear, how we teach it in those vital early years is still far from obvious. Let's leave the discovery space now and go and meet a man who's trying to work out how we can best teach this fundamental skill. So here we are at the amphitheatre, right in the heart of the campus. So first of all, if you can just introduce yourself. I'm Stephen Howard. I'm an associate professor at Early Start in School of Education. And my research at Early Start really focuses on early self-regulation and what we can do to support it. They call the program PERSIST. That's actually an acronym spelt P-R-S-I-S-T. And that stands for Preschool Situational Self-Regulation Toolkit. So over the course of a couple of years, we wanted to look at those sorts of environments and experiences that would have benefits for children's self-regulation. We talked to a lot of educators, we observed their practice, but we also brought our knowledge and what we know from the literature and research to bear to say, what are the things that we can do in, say, a preschool context that is going to have that sort of benefit? And here it's worth making clear that Early Start is not just a building on the campus of the University of Wollongong. It's also a network of early childhood services up and down the east coast of Australia. We wrapped that into a program that fit within what preschool educators were already doing. So it wasn't something more or additional or or more demands on what is already a highly demanding job. Then we implemented and evaluated that program to see the impact that it had. We did that with 50 preschools and, and nearly 500 children over the course of the last year. One of the tools that we developed, which we called Persist, was a way that educators could structure their observations in a routine activity. Something like a memory card game where you have to wait your turn, flip only two cards, pay attention, not just during your turn, but during other children's turns as well. But then as educators play the game, it's not about who gets the most pairs. We're looking at things like children sustaining their attention. Once we've gone one turn around in the game, can they be self-directed? Can they start to enact the sequence independently? Because that's an important part of self-regulation as well. All the while, sticking within the boundaries and expectations of the game, taking turns, only flipping two cards. We'll come back to the memory game later. Remember that. But what other techniques are used to measure and develop self-regulation? I think my favorite example is probably musical statues, which is played routinely in preschool context and homes as well. You dance when the music's on and you freeze when the music stops. But typically one of two things happens in those contexts. If a child doesn't stop dancing when the music stops, either they'll be told that they're out of the game because they didn't stop, So the child that probably needed the most practice or could benefit the most from practice in self-regulation got the least opportunity, or we just ignore it and the child keeps dancing and they never really try and stop in future. 
well, what if we can just do a minimal modification to that sort of activity? What if rather than being out of the game or not acknowledging it at all, the child goes down to their knees and we take their legs out of the equation? They're still in the game, but now they're just dancing with their torso and their arms and their head. And again, if they don't stop, they're now on their bottom and it's just their arms and their head. And then when they do stop, they start to progress back up. Now everyone's getting full benefit of that sort of practice in that impulse control. But enough of the talking. It's time to get an idea what this looks like in practice before we learn more about the PERSIST program and what it can teach all of us, no matter what our age may be. We're at Kidsuni CBD. My name's Amanda, and we're in the preschool room. Okay, Philippa. Yeah, so you've got one. And what kind of animal is that, Philippa? We've just been playing a game with the children. Tell me what the game was. So it is a memory matching game where children are matching the number with the same amount of items on another card. All right, so we had some yellow cards and some red cards. The yellow cards were sea creatures, different numbers of sea creatures, so one crab, for instance, or five jellyfish. Then we had some red cards that were the numerals. So we started by just face up so that people get an idea of the game and then we turn them face down and got them to try and get the pairs. Why were you doing this? What's the point of it? To first establish that they know what a pair is, that they can match the digit and the quantity together and then that they know the expectation of them going face down and then setting that, that so that they can play within the rules of the game. And what kind of animals are they? You know? Jellyfish. Jellyfish. They've got six jellyfish and the number six. Now you've got two cards left. I wonder if these are a pair. You're not trying to teach them the game. There are other things that you're trying to teach them. What are you trying to teach them here? So within this game, we're really looking at their regulation. So within the social, emotional, the cognitive, and also the behavioural. So we're looking at where they are within the scale so that we can then tailor experiences directly on each child's development at this time to progress them along because everything starts within the early years, we're really trying to promote that so that it's for lifelong learning, so they've got the skills once they head off beyond these walls and into life. So in this game, give me an example of a child that is not able to regulate themselves. What kind of behaviour would you be seeing? Turning the cards when it's not their turn, being quite disruptive and disrupting the other children within the game, constant fidgeting, getting up and out of their chair, not being able to remain within the game, so they might not be able to focus their attention and leave the game. Um, So there are a couple of things that we would see. Right, so it's also about how do you control your emotions when you're wrong at disappointment? Yes, very much about the disappointment with the memory game as well. There is certain children that do become disheartened when others get pairs, if they don't get any. So, it, yeah, it is within both of those experiences where we start off. Mm, so it sounds like the kind of activity that Australian tennis players, male tennis players, yeah. might <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Hi. 
So I'm Catherine Nielsen-Hewitt and I'm the Director of Pedagogical Leadership in Early Start, but I'm also the Director of the Early Years within the School of Education at University of Wollongong. What causes a child to constantly engage in conflict with their peers? What makes a child unable to pay attention for more than 10 minutes at a time? I call them red flags. So if a child's unable to pay attention, if they're unable to engage effectively with other children in play situations, if they can't remember instructions or follow instructions, if they're unable to manage their emotions when things go wrong, if they're not able to complete tasks, so they might start a puzzle and they put three pieces in and then they walk around and go to something else, or the child who is constantly running around the environment but never truly engages deeply in a task, a child who just can't wait their turn or is unable to communicate their wants and needs, they're the children who are having challenges in terms of their self-regulation. So I think it's important to think that self-regulation is not something that you're born with. It's something that you acquire. So there's certainly a developmental component to self-regulation so that we learn to actually share but how we do that is through the interactions that we have in our environment. So some children have been given lots of opportunities to acquire these skills. So for instance, we know that children who are provided with choices, they're much better at problem solving. So they may have a parent who said, here's two outfits, you pick which one you would like to wear or children who are encouraged to make plans and follow through on those plans. So David, you said that you wanted to make a cubby. If you're still going to make that cubby, what do you think you're going to need to make that cubby? So they've actually been provided with structural supports, either through their parents or through educators, that really give them those foundational skills needed in order to engage in these regulatory behaviours. So from an early age, and obviously in an age-appropriate way, they are given agency over their life. They're given opportunity to make decisions which will then have an effect one way or the other on their lives and they will learn from that. That's correct. And that age-appropriateness is really important. So we talk about scaffolded learning. And that's where we actually create a situation where we extend children's development slightly beyond what they could do by themselves. So the difference is having a child where you sit down and you give them a puzzle and it has eight or nine pieces and you walk away and you leave it to themselves. That child might get frustrated, they might give up easily and then they go and do something that they can actually achieve. The child who's provided with scaffold support is you might give them that puzzle where you know they can do five pieces but you're going to give them a ten piece puzzle. And you sit there as an adult and you let them have a go and when you see that they might be having a problem you might suggest that they rotate that piece or they start with the corner piece first. So it's really about supporting children to stay engaged, to persist and to succeed, but also to take risks. So it's not always about providing children with things that we know that they can do. We actually want to stretch them a little bit beyond those achievements. And here is a really important idea and one that can transform our lives if we live it fully. In the words of the great Bob Dylan, there's no success like failure, and failure is no success at all.
what we call resilience comes from experiencing risk and experiencing failure and that's something that's very important and we talk about this with our educators. To be an effective model you actually need to demonstrate you making mistakes as well so we often say to educators do things like when you're reading a book hold it upside down and let the children correct you or skip a page in the book of a familiar story and let the children correct you so it's very important I think we we live in an environment where we really protect children from risk and failure in order for them to actually develop and understand problem solving and understand that if I don't get the toy that I want so Jacob has the blue ball I really want the blue ball but if my regulation skills are okay I think Jacob's got the blue ball but it's okay I'll play with the black ball today. Whereas a child who is challenged and who has been protected from risk and protected from failure won't understand that the possibility is that the black ball is okay to use. So the child who is really self-regulated is the child who's able to have a sense of community. Now what I mean by that is in order for you to stop doing something that you want to do or do something that you don't want to do, you have to have an understanding of the collective need. So I need to stop playing with this toy because someone else wants to have a turn of it. So it's the child who has an understanding of others' emotions and needs and wants and are not driven only by their own, which is why you wouldn't expect a three-year-old to self-regulate. So when you're two, you're regulated by your parents. And then we move into what we call a co-regulation phase. So around three to four, you're actually supported by others. But once we get to around five, children who are most successful socially, those who are what we call ready to learn, so they can pay attention, they can remember, they can stay on task, they can follow instructions, they're the ones who are able to regulate their own behaviours themselves. And they're the children who are ready for school and in fact they're ready for life. We talked about the benefits it has for children, but the benefits for adults. Like children's self-regulatory abilities sets the climate of the educational setting and the home environment. And some of the most exciting feedback that I've had from educators who have been part of this program are things like they say to me, Catherine, I don't dread Tuesdays anymore that I'm, I can come to work, excited to come to work, because I know that there's lower levels of conflict. The children are engaged, they're ready to learn, they're excited. We've had parents contact the educators and say, what are you, what are you doing? I cannot believe the changes in the behaviour at home and how more engaged they are and they're asking questions and they're excited and they're engaged and they're reflective. That's when you're really seeing that you're making true real world impact. All right, so that's it for Early Start and Young Children. What do we got next time, Lizzie? Curing diseases without drugs. So UOW researchers are are looking at this groundbreaking new fibre that could mean that we forget drugs altogether. All right, that sounds very sci-fi. Let's hear a little bit for next, next time. And it was through conversations with our international collaborators that, that we realised that, that that very unusual combination of properties meant that we could tie uh, that sutra around living pulsating nerves. 
uh, down to very small bundles, uh, bundles that could never have been interrogated before. In the not-too-distant future, the whole field of electroceuticals uh, will, will be opened up. So electroceuticals is where we use electrical stimulation instead of pharmaceuticals in order to treat disease, uh, diseases like diabetes, hypertension. For more information on this episode or others in the series and to find out more about how University of Wollongong's research is solving society's biggest questions, visit stand.uow.edu.au. And you may also wish to check out the very first season of this podcast, which is called Can You Tell Me Why? And don't forget to review us wherever you get your podcasts. My name's William Verity. My name's Lizzie Jack. See you next time.